como están? This is your Que Que podcast, a place where we shine a light on Dominicans who are making an impact for and on our communities. I'm your co-host, Albert Garcia, and as always, I'm joined today by my partner in Dominicanness, the ever-so-talented, always-spectacular, Vanessa Fernandez-Lovely. Venus, ¿cómo está? ¿Qué lo que? Aquí guayando la yuca, como siempre, como siempre. But I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, enjoying this Miami weather. Great, great. Well, it's the holiday season, and we certainly want to be thankful for all of our blessings. Happy Thanksgiving, certainly, to our community of listeners out there. This week, in that spirit of humble thanks, we want to do two things. So far in Queloque, we've spotlighted folks who have had some experience under their belt. Some might even say their mid-career. So we want to talk to an accomplished individual that's at the beginning of their work journey, as is so many Dominicans and Dominicanas. The other thing we wanted to do was begin a discussion specifically about femicide and violence against women. This is a really, really horrible problem that's going on, especially in the Dominican Republic, but also here in the United States. And this week marked the UN's International Violence Against Women Day, which deliberately helps mark the 59th anniversary of the assassination of Las Hermanas Mirabal, those three Dominican freedom fighters who fought against dictator Rafael Trujillo but met their death in 1960. So what better way to do this than to talk to one of my younger friends, a fellow Columbia alum, albeit separated by a couple of years, Lucero Jorge. Lucero Jorge is currently the Senior Project Assistant and Outreach Coordinator for Sanctuary for Families, one of New York's leading service providers and advocates for survivors of domestic violence and other forms of gender-based violence. There, she helps manage cases and the organization's helpline. She's only three years removed from graduating from Columbia University, where she was an active student leader, including being president of El Grupo Quisqueyano, the school's Dominican student organization, and one of the founders of the school's first-generation low-income partnership. Lucero hopes to continue to develop her career in social and public policy and public service. She's accomplished a lot so far, and we want to hear more about it. So, mira, Lucero, ¿cómo está? ¿Qué lo que? Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm really excited. I started at Sanctuary December 2016, so I'm almost nearing my three-year anniversary. And at first, post-graduation, I didn't have a job, and a lot of people were like, oh, it's fine. You have a Columbia degree. Like, you'll be okay. You'll find a job in no time. But, like, six months out, I was, like, freaking out because I'm like, this is the longest I haven't been doing anything. Um, like, during that time, I was definitely um, tutoring for some kids. Um, a lot of, like, homework help, trying to find a job. Um, and then Sanctuary came out as an opportunity. Um, it was a, It's been a really great experience. We work with survivors of domestic violence, and I think I gravitated towards that work um, just because it's very immigrant-focused, woman-focused, um, and we're doing something that's really great. I personally was never impacted by domestic violence. Um, however, in the time that I've been there, I've been able to relate so much to a lot of our clients. And I think that's been one of like the most positive parts. Um, they are really like the heart of our organization. Um, like we have survivor leaders, which are like people who have come as victims of domestic violence, they've used our services and now they're the ones like advocating and doing all this work and they are truly like the gems of everything. I always like make sure like 
shout them out. I'll be at like a staff meeting, like, oh, the survivor leaders did this or that. So um, it's been a really great opportunity. Sanctuary is a great organization. Um, they're one of New York's leading service providers for survivors of domestic violence and gender-based violence. And we've been involved in the advocating um, for various things, such as getting um, cyber abuse on family um, offense petitions. So now um, abusers can't um, disseminate photos, no, they can't do no revenge porn. Um, and we've, we're currently working on um, trafficking and how that affects especially children. We have um, a program especially dedicated to children. So it's just like a lot of little things that we work on. Um, I personally do um, family law. And I also do outreach coordination, which I think came from all the experience that I had in school when I was involved in um, the first generation low income partnership flip, when I was doing Grupo Quisqueyano um, and other um, things I was involved, especially in the Latinx community. So it's definitely translated pretty well. Um, and it's pretty exciting work. Um, I get to meet a lot of um, survivors, but I also get to meet a lot of like great um, service providers who, like me, are starting off their career, but they're really passionate about social justice issues. And... Um, and a lot of like the communities I work with are actually Dominican women. Um, so I've done, I do clinics up in Washington Heights. Um, we were working closely with the Dominican Women's Development Center. Um, and so it is kind of great to still be in like the community um, that I am a part of doing that work. Um, and it definitely has helped building like relationships with these clients because like clients come up to me like it's very like you know touchy feely, lots of hugs, lots of oh let me bring you a dulce from my trip back to DR or let me um, keep my kids coming over so I need you to see them before I leave. Um, so it's been a pretty great experience and it's just like a big family. Uh, so like yeah, sometimes like I've made the mistake of giving out my actual number to clients, but it's been okay <laughs> so far that like nothing like that was on like, my first day, my first day <laughs> at work where I was like, you, you, yeah, you learned. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, sorry, I can't pick up a little call my my office phone. I'm sorry. Um, but other than that, like it's it's been pretty great. <laughs> You know, and, and, and part of it is that connection, right? I mean, I think we're, you know, we had another person talk to us about community. And I think as, as Dominicans, we're really used to either reaching out or leaning on to each other for certain things um, when we find, you know, those, those, pl those places of support. Um, you know, October was um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so I want to ask you a little bit, look, gender-based violence is, is a pretty taboo subject, right? In a lot of communities of color, and especially I think in a lot of Latino communities. Um, and while there are a number of active organizations and services, I mean, DR is also home to one of the highest rates of gender violence and homicides from women to members of the LGBTQ and transgender community. From, from your work, you know, how does that, how does that impact folks here, right? That 
that you know what they bring from from their culture or or what they're used to hearing from the outside how does it impact that when they hear um you know in the united states sure um so just to start off like at sanctuary um, our clients come from like 160 countries and about 76 of the adult clients are immigrants and so lots of the services that we do provide um like we do have immigration services um family laws i mentioned custody orders of protection and so um I've seen cases where um, I think right now, like, we've had to settle cases in, like, family court because, one, um, adult clients are very afraid of, like, ICE and ICE coming to court and being deported back home. Um, And they're all coming here with, like, all their kids and they're trying to do the best for their kids. Um, we've done like stitch petitions. Those are um, special immigrant juvenile status petitions. And they kind of say like, this child was abandoned by their parents. And we need to figure out like, why are the, the things that are happening back in their country so terrible that they cannot return? Um, but I think that definitely, even though um, I've heard clients say like, I came to the U.S. because I was suffering from domestic violence and I thought that coming here would be a better outcome for myself. I think once they get here and they see how like the court system works, it's not like it's always the best remedy. And I think they are somewhat disappointed sometimes um, because they thought that, hey, like the police over there just isn't going to protect me. And I know like that's not even just the case in Dominican Republic. Um, my colleagues, I have a colleague who's Colombian, and she'll say the same thing. She's like, I wouldn't ever, um, like there's so many of our clients who are also Colombian that they come. She's like, I don't believe in like the police. They're very corrupt. I don't believe in the government. They're very corrupt. What are they doing for these people? in order to support them and prevent um, all this IPV, so interpersonal relationship violence. Um, So I think that it's very hard because they have all these hopes in coming here and finding solutions, and it's not always the case. Um, And sometimes even the remedies that they're trying to obtain here because of something back home that prevents them um, from getting that remedy, um, they won't get it. Like some clients just want like passports for their kids. And it's like, well, we can't find the other parent, so therefore we can't grant you this remedy or even custody. It's like, we can't, the other parent is back at home. We can't grant you custody. So it's a lot of like hoops that they have to jump through. And I think that even in the interactions that we have with clients, um, like a lot of the clients we meet are through our helpline. And so that's the first point of contact on the phone. They feel very wary of discussing all their personal issues um, with us just because they're like, I I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if like you'll do right by me. Um, And it's a lot of also 
them coming here and once again immigration status their partner using their immigration status against them they'll be like oh I'm gonna call ice on you if you leave me so these things are just like echoing from like our home countries back here things are very similar yes some remedies are better but not all the time and it's just a lot of like navigating the systems but also um, using other resources as someone in the legal department like I rely a lot on people in our clinical department to be the ones that are trauma informed to be the ones that are supporting like our clients when um they're afraid to testify, um, whether that's because back home no one supported them or um, they never had to go before a judge. So it's a lot of like implications and I, I, I guess like it's disheartening how much like how much they place how much value they place on our legal system and knowing that it's not it's not that much better in some way. Well, wow, wow. Before we move on, because I know you mentioned a hotline, and normally I, I know people like to put things at the end, but for people that may be listening to what you talked about and maybe it's your, what is that hotline? Let's just get it out the way and then we can repeat it at the end. Sure. So you can call our hotline. It's 212-349-6009. Um, and I'll prompt you to all the steps that you need to follow, whether you need legal assistance or clinical assistance. Um, we serve all five boroughs in New York City. Um, and we're also located in family justice centers, which are usually connected to all the courts um, in each borough. Um, and we also support um, survivors in finding shelter um, with different locations throughout the five boroughs as well. Well, oh, um, you know, here in Miami, because we're not, we're, our, our podcast is located in Miami. Um, I once heard that, you know, because you mentioned earlier regarding uh, trafficking. Uh, they've said that South Florida has a large trafficking um, number. Um, do you find that, no, I mean, because you work in it, do you find that in New York as big a number because we have so much immigrant immigration? Because at least in here, that's what they said it was a cause is because we have immigration and people not understanding, you know, our system, so then they get wrapped up. Do you find that to be the same uh, thing in New York City? So we definitely, we have an anti-trafficking initiative and a lot of the clients that come through there are from Asian communities. Uh, um, and they come here, we have a, um, someone that goes to a, like massage parlors, goes to nail salons to kind of interview and build a relationship with the workers there and see what kind of issues they have and how they can help them step out from those environments. Um, we, like in January, we're going to be celebrating again awareness for trafficking victims. Um, and there's like a documentary that our organization participated in called Blowing Up. It's on PBS. And it talks about the human trafficking intervention courts. And the purpose of these courts are to, um, for anyone who's been picked up for like prostitution, trying to give them services 
um, post their arrest on how to get out of the situation, any alternatives. We have a lot of clients also go through our economic empowerment program, which is just like a career readiness program so that they have the skills to do something else other than what they were doing. It does get difficult because of like immigration status, how like how much access you have to these environments. Um, but I think like our initiative definitely we are in the courts, but our our objective is that we do eliminate this like human trafficking intervention court because these people shouldn't be arrested for the fact that they've been like duped into these situations. Whether it's that they were promised some other kind of career. Um, I think a lot of it starts off as like labor trafficking and then it turns into something else. Um, and I, we've had clients that even though we've intervened um, and trying to remove them from like their pimp, um, as they like to refer it, um, they'll go back. And that's because of like mental health issues or economic stability. Um, there's just so many barriers that sometimes put people into positions that they just keep returning to these situations that they're in. Um, but we've definitely done a lot of work and I think right now we're trying to move towards like the Nordic model and trying to figure out how should New York City decriminalize um, sex work. Um, I know that like our organization has a like very specific stance on that that not like a lot of people um, even people who work there may agree on um, but I think it's just trying to find ways to support but also empower people who are being trafficked um, like right now I just finished um, I'm, still, I mean, I'm still working on it but we had to like file for a name change for a client who was trafficked from um, Latin America and that was because like, she came in with a different name and once her daughters were born, she still used her traffic name on the birth certificate. And because of that, like she has not been able to get any passport for her daughter. Her daughter can't get their license because she, or like any permits or IDs because she can't sign using her name. So they'll say like, you're not really her mother. This is your name's not on this birth certificate. So like we've been trying to like work with the court and the attorney general. Um, to get that change so that she can find her daughters are 18 almost 18 now so it's kind of like they can do a lot of things on their own but it took that long for this to even happen and it's not done so it's a lot of like issues that come out from that too. <laughs> no and i think having the um, also the support i mean i don't i think you rightfully bring up that people don't realize sometimes the bureaucracy that there is in, in, in this country when it comes to simple things or what people think are simple things like identity or identification or resources and things. And so when you're caught in that kind of a situation, every little bureaucratic hurdle that you have to jump is almost like saps your energy or can sap someone's energy to be able to kind of move forward and, and to do things, right? Um, and, and we see those obstacles in a lot of public policy especially when you have whether it's historically disfranchised folks or folks who are just you know marginalized now they're kind of caught in this bureaucratic red tape 
that kind of keeps them down, whether their economics down or their ability to, to get resources. Um, you, know, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, in terms of community and, and culture, I'm curious, um, you, know, you were really involved in college in terms of setting that up, right? Setting up a, 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 and participating in a support network um, for students, whether they were first generation students or Dominican students or just like minded students. I'm, I'm wondering those experiences in colleges, what did you learn from that that you could or that you have specifically brought to the work here um, or that's helped you expand that? Right. How, how's that bridge been like? Um, so I think that I've definitely, I think like in terms of one, like flip, um, this is like very unrelated to any of the work that we do at Sanctuary, but it's more so um, like I had um, interns um, from that. Actually, like one of my interns, we went to the same high school. We never met, but we ended up finding out we went to the same high school. So like for me, it was very important that like I got her paid. Um, and that's not something that happens at nonprofits a lot. Um, and like we, Sanctuary like has a really great um, summer program and they help, um, they figure out some things about whether it's like transportation or um, they'll provide like, food at the um at the events and all that but it's not a lot of like actual monetary compensation um it's a lot of like advocating that the school would be the one that step up and um pay the interns and for me that was very important that it's like my intern was going to be at um at the office doing x amount of hours that i thought extended like exceeded um a volunteer um, expectation that she should be compensated properly and it's a conversation I have with my supervisor my supervisor is um, Puerto Rican um, and like we spoke about this she said oh I, I never I try to always do like paid internships and I was like me too that's I am like I'm someone that I like my mom she, she raised me um, and we were a low-income family but I never thought like anything was missing from my life and when I went off to school like I was in work I was in work study um, and I made sure like I, was, I never asked my mom for money because I'm like my mom can like barely manage how am I going to be asking her for all this money while I'm out here um, and I know like I could always go home and it wasn't a big deal because like my mom was in the Bronx and I was over in at Columbia and I could just go home and eat or like she'll pack me like a hundred million things like Tupperware of food to take back home um, and it would be like I would feed everyone at the door so for me it was very important that like that my intern got paid um, and what she did and um, she wanted to come back and it was like I think it was a great opportunity for her because it helped her realize that she didn't want to go to law school. Like she's applying to law school right now. Um, and that this is the kind of work that she wanted to do. And I don't think that if we were able, if we weren't able to compensate her, she wouldn't have had that opportunity. And, um, and I know that that was like a thing for me too, that I made sure all the opportunities that I took were relevant for me, but also I could get compensated. And I know a lot of people don't like have that opportunity. And that's like something I've been very privileged to have, even as someone who identifies with like first gen and low income. Um, but I think it was like one of my priorities. So I definitely like made 
made sure that that happened. Um, in terms of like culture, I think that that one's like a, something kind of tricky. Um, although we have highlighted, I'm, I haven't been like especially involved in it. Um, but like at work, like we are working on like diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Um, and it's just about being like very vocal. I think that Sanctuary has given me this space that even though um, now I'm a like senior uh, project assistant, um, but I'm still like on a junior staff level. But because of all the outreach that I do, um, which may like have may have come from the work that I did um, in school, um, but I think like. I definitely like wild and flip having to like work with school administrators, people in higher positions that had all this like power to make decisions, whether it was because of the money or just of their position. I think that's translated really well into my role now that I am presenting to our senior staff and our executive director that I do have like a close um, connection with them and I'm able to advocate for um, the needs that we have. I'm very involved at our, in our um, LGBTQ plus um, working group and we usually like are in charge of um, organizing all of our pride events, um, trying to find different communities to be involved in and now we're trying to make sure that keeps running all year long um, because we I think like I have I've had chance and other people that I've worked with that are also very young um, and we went to we, we did a lot of like activism in college it's given us the ability to um, say hey um, it's our chance to be critical of our organization like we're great we do all these things but there's so much more work that can be done and I think we've definitely as staff been critical of like what's our engagement with the LGBTQ community not just outside when it's pride but also like in our office whether it's um, how inclusive the artwork is for our clients when they pass through our hallways and even for ourselves as staff that like need to do the work sometimes like staff have felt that oh as someone that identifies as gay i get all the clients who identify as like gay as well so it's been a lot of like educating staff educating senior staff about um language we that came up when like we do assessments and so for helpline like changing the language so it's not she or he, um, it's they or them. Um, and it also comes up, our legal center is called the Center for, the Center for Battered Women's Legal Services. And it's um, trying to change the name. And I know it's like a historical point, but it's been a detriment because I can tell you in the three years I've been working here that I have not, we have not really picked up a male client. Um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, whether men are just, and which is true, um, men aren't really um, forthcoming on in the, any abuse that they've um, received. Um, like only 20% of anyone who goes through our family justice centers are men. Um, and so it's like a variety of reasons, but like I think those little things have 
helps definitely bring consciousness to just how we do things on a daily basis. And, and, and you talked about language, and I think, you know, we're living real interesting times, right? Because it, it's, a, it's a time to to really, that people are really trying to redefine and 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 just get better, right? In terms of using that. There's also a lot of, um, a lot of big debate going around identity, right? Not just in response to white supremacy and colorism and anti-blackness, but down to even how we call ourselves in terms of, so, so I'm curious as someone who did um, a lot of programming for Latino Heritage Month, you know, what's your take on, on some folks, you know, either rejecting the Latinx term as either not being, um, not being true to the African and indigenous um, you know, backgrounds of our culture, or even folks who say Latinx is um, is just like a a weird American term that doesn't apply to the Spanish language, right? Like on either ways. Like, like what what's your thought as someone who, in some ways, is in in the cut of this conversation? Ah, this is a <laughs> tough one. Um, so. I, I can start off by saying, like, I identify as, like, Afro-Latina. Um, but I remember uh, right before graduation, we were trying to order um, some sweatshirts. for, And it was like, do we order Latinos, Latinx, or just get, like, Latino, Latina separately? It was, like, the whole thing. Or, like, the at sign. Um and it was pretty interesting just to say that most of the people opposed to Latinx were male identifying uh, students. And like, uh, like all the women were like, oh, it's okay, it's Latinx, like it's very inclusive. And, and it was a lot of um, arguing. But yes, I've definitely heard that like Latinx is a very Americanized term. Um, but even so, like Latino shouldn't even be the proper term. It shouldn't be Hispanic. Um, but I think that, um, like, I identify as someone who has African heritage, but I also recognize that I do have European heritage as well, um, and that an indigenous heritage. Um, I don't know how much, um, but that is the heritage that, like, my parents have. Um, and other family members. And I think for me, it's a point of more so learning about all those parts of me. I think um, definitely when I was in school, it was very important for me to take like African-American studies to have a, a concentration in AFAM, um, a very like um, Caribbean studies focus, um, just because like I wanted to definitely learn about what it was to be Dominican, Dominican history, but also how... Um, like Haitians were also involved in our history and still are to this day. And then being someone of Dominican descent and being born in New York, that's like a whole other layer to like who I am as a person. Um, and so I think it's just, we need to keep talking more. We need to keep reading more. Um, and I think we shouldn't be basing it off just as like some BuzzFeed article or anything, because I think like people, um, they're very into ca- like reading the captions or reading like the titles of things and not like going into depth of like what this article means or um, even just doing your own research and formulating your own experiences. And I think for me, um, one of like, the most pivotal moments of my life was after like graduating and like learning all the things that I did was I went to like I went to Cuba on like a solo trip 
It was like um, planned out by Afro-Latino travels. And to me, it was like, whoa, there's all like so many black people in Cuba. And that's like when you think about a Cuban, like they, those are not the people that like you picture or like I've met or seen. No, I see them and, or not. It's people that live in Miami. We know that's not the that's not the picture of the Cuban community here. <laughs> yeah, so no. When I went over there, I was like, wow, these people are black and beautiful. It's like really amazing. And it's just like blackness is so integral to culture in general, um, whether it's African-American culture, Black Caribbean culture, and that can be like broken down into like Anglophone, Francophone, Spanish-speaking. Um, so it's just, I think people need to learn more. And I'm not, I know that it's very like, labels are very useful for things when it comes like to census or laws or politics and things like that. But I I don't know. Like I think people place a lot of value into labels and we need to do more so like talking. Like I think talking to other people and creating those spaces to talk to each other, whether it's like opposing views or not, um, can be very useful into like building whatever identity it is that you uh think you like whatever you identify as I think that's something very personal but I I would say like I definitely I think I identify as an Afro-Latina because Latino culture has been very um important to me and I like I I will admit like I didn't grow up thinking anything about like oh that person's black and I'm and I'm not the same shade or anything so all the people I grew up with were like black and brown people in the Bronx I did not see like all like the the first time I went to college was when it was like whoop in your face (laughs) there's this whole world out there and no one like looks like you did or like we didn't all grow up with the same like cultural values or like um like they won't understand all the memes about New York and all the things about the subway and all that and it's just been like a very I don't know I'm just like a Afro-Latina Dominican York and it, it is what it is it's like I'm all these people I'm all these things um and I'm fine with just keeping like keep learning and keeping keep exploring all the things that I am and how I can relate to people in that way yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, New York is a special am. place, right? I mean, I think yes, it is. It, it, it is it, very, it, very special. No, <laughs> special in good ways and special in different. But it's just like there is no other, there is no place like that. And, and I think once you, you can't leave, explain it, yeah. Once you leave New York, I think the biggest thing for me is like how different it really is, and how around the country, how people look at us. And not to say that there's something right about thinking you're the center of the universe, because everybody thinks they're, they're, they're the center, right? America thinks they're the center, and sometimes New Yorkers think that way. Um, but, but, you know, having so many different cultures and navigating so many different cultures, I think you bring up that, that people are kind of used to that. And that's not to say there's no segregation. It's not to say that people don't have effed up ideas, but it's definitely on a, on a, on a different type level. Um, and yes. yet, you know, the, the, the city is changing. I'm curious because you are in New York. This seems to be a lot of Dominican energy coming out of New York City these days, right? I mean, it, maybe it's because we're looking at it from the outside. I'm looking at the outside and looking at social media, but like we're everywhere. We're like 
in New York, like we're blowing up. You got word up bookstore. You got a, like you got writers coming out out the woodworks. Um, really dope folks coming out. What's it a lot like? Of politicians, you know, politicians, folks. You know, like you got Espaya in terms of Congress. You got folks like even as you know, you know, badass Dominicanas in city government, like Wendy Garcia, who has the you know diversity and inclusion at Stringer's office. You got Lisa Camilo, who's a commissioner. You know. Um, out there. So you got a bunch of folks who are doing things. I'm just curious, how does that feel like? Right? I mean, do you do you get that sense? Do you get that sense? Um, especially as a Dominicana who's working in different things and 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 seeing that do you see that energy? Do you feel that? Um, or is it just like, eh, it's New York? <laughs> No, I think that it's definitely an exciting time to like be proud of being Dominican. Um, because yes, like we are everywhere, we are in politics, and that's not like something we saw growing up. Um, it's very different. I think it's like we've reached like our time. Um, and it's very exciting. But definitely, no, I like right now. I'm wearing my Peralta Project shirt, so I would like to shout Marina. out, <laughs> Tony. Um, so I think it's like we're definitely in like a time where it's politics and very like art spaces, creativity, curating of experiences, and that's like really dope. Um, but I, it, it's just very exciting, and like I also sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was like out there doing all these like really cool things. But I think it's been like highlighting like I mentioned before just like Dominican Latino New York uptown culture a lot of like all the jokes that like we grew up like I know that Prosa just put out for today following like his Kupo shirt (laughs) so it's like things from back home that like our parents brought here um, and we grew up listening to them like oh don't go over there google's gonna get you like now we can like wear a shirt and say like oh i know about the google do you and like we can share all like our how we grew up and all these things um i know that like another thing the mommy chula social club is like a big thing here um and it's about empowering women to do things that are traditionally seen as more male-dominated activities. Um, so Claudia, she's one of the founders of the uh, Mami Chula Social Club. I went to an event for her. And it's a lot of, like, women who identify as Dominican, but also Latinas. We came together to, like, learn how to smoke cigars and how it was a pair up with, like, the gentleman's deck. It was a very tough experience. But, like, wow. it's, like, different. It's Eso not, bueno. like... I like it. I like it. I think I'm gonna have to go to New York soon. Otra vez. I know. I know. It seems like you're you're trying to to line up that flight right now. (laughs) Well, it's been a minute since I've gone back home, so I'm just saying now that we're talking about it, I'm like, yo soy una mami chula. Yo soy. Yo sé. I know that I am. Check. No. uh, Check. Right. But uh, before we go on, I just want to like ask you a question because just like you I I grew up that I didn't really recognize 
I never felt different until I got out of my space. And you talked about it twice. You know, like when you went to college, you noticed like a difference. Like, oh my God, like you grew up with black and brown, but when you went to college, you're like, oh my God. And then when you went to Cuba, it was also like another shock that you're like, I cubano que son mulato y Wow. Now, is there haven't been a time for you that you has that it's been more internal that you somebody's made you feel or something's happened that you felt more American than Dominican or Dominican than American or more a negra que hispana? You know, like because being of mixed race myself, you know, what I mean, you understand that, but sometimes it's not until we leave that we feel it. Yeah, no. Um, so I think the I, I I'm gonna admit here. I'm like I haven't visited Dominican Republic as much as like other people may have, um, and I think that has definitely impacted just how I relate to people over there, um, especially like family. Like I remember clearly we were in like some park in the square, and they were like people were just like meeting up to hang out. It was fine. I'm like oh. I'm like, I didn't, I don't do that back home. But the thing was that I think they were talking about someone um, being gay. And like, I like, I think growing up here as someone who I identify as a queer person, um, it was a very difficult situation because like I wasn't, I hadn't told them that identified as that. Um, so I was kind of like, standing there trying to like listen into a conversation and see like what their views were and I felt that I I couldn't give an opinion because it's a lot of like you don't know the situation here you're from America you're not really a like you're not a real Dominican um and just like I I understand that a lot of the ways that um we may talk about queer people we say it in like jokingly um like um this is and that um it's like a big joke and I think like us as people like we're very like trying to like make light of situations um we don't like to have like heavy things looming around um but I think that was one of the most challenging times that I didn't feel even though like this was someone they were talking about someone like me I was made to feel that I couldn't really have an opinion on it because it like for them it was like this is we're talking about a Dominican issue right now and you're not really Dominican you don't really know like how much time have you spent over here to even say anything and and like that's been extended to like forums um where when we were really into the mix of like the um taking away um, birthrights from like Haitian people and who were protesting here in New York that was like that was always the like point of contention that people in the Dominican Republic would say well you don't live here so like how would you have an opinion on something that you're not living and it's kind of like we have a lot of parallels here um, even with like our immigration status and now in this um with our current government, like that's come up. Uh, that's straight up Dominican, yo. That's like Hippolito, like all over the Union zone, you know? So, so yeah, like there's lots of parallels. So it was it was it was difficult, and 
I, I wish like I, I think maybe I wish I would have said something while I was in the moment but I was like how it was like a lot of things like how am I gonna like come out to all these people right now because they're discussing these serious topics for them and try to like defend myself because it's just gonna be like you're not Dominican and you're gay oh and sometimes we don't want all those golpes. Eso es mucho. Una pela. No, and I think that's what's hard. You know, I, I think especially when it comes to, to gender and sexuality, I mean, that's a big taboo, right? That's a big taboo. And no one has told me, like, in DR, they there's not a community there, right? Because, I mean, I've been there. I know too many Dominicans not to be like, you, you guys either are open or not open, right? About it, right? Okay. And and um, and people know it in their families, too, right? But I think that there is something about... Um, no habla, tú no you know, no lo habla. It's in your families, but... We don't talk about it. We don't, it just, it's a, it's as they say in English, the elephant in the room, I feel when it comes to that. No, and, and the thing is that, I mean, we also have to understand that, you know, for us, especially for a culture that's still living out a post-dictatorship culture, right? Um, yeah. Even though we're still two or three generations removed, there is a very much Trujillo dictatorship, oppressive kind of culture where silence is not just power, but it's also survival, right? And so it, to me, it, it's it's not so you know, unclear as to why sometimes issues of things like domestic violence or gender-based violence and stuff like have a certain power and sway because those those forms really feed off silence, right? And people not saying it and doing anything. Um, and, and we've got to teach our, 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 not just our kids, like everybody, you know, how to spot that and how to be able to stand up to that, but with the support, right? Because you shouldn't necessarily have to feel like by yourself when having to do that. Right. Um, and, and how do you empower yourself in terms of in those kind of ways? Um, and shoot, you know, I, I think you get to a point when you get old in life that you just don't don't give a shit. Right. Um, and so, you know, but even then, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm 44, 45 years old and still, um, I, I, you know, I've got cousins who I talk to and don't want to talk to. Right. Uh, or people who I know who are going to make me feel the same way. Or I know walking into certain circles que el, el dominicano le gusta hablar de otro dominicano, right? And they like to deauthorize and deauthorize in some folks. So, esta persona no, they don't know how to speak, you know, Spanish well, or they don't know how to speak Dominican well, right? Because that's another <laughs> subset, right? Um, <laughs> and those guys, oh, or, or for me, I do, tú no, tú no suena dominicano. I'm like, well, I don't give. Like, that's not an insult to me, but, you know, like, I, I stand with Boricua brothers and sisters. That's all good, you know? Um, but, 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 I, you know, like, I think that's just something that, 
that I think is part of what it means to live in this country, right? And to have a transnational identity, um, yes. which I think, you know, that 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 people do. And, and people try to, like you said, try to stick you into labels, but even worse, they try to stick you into like fixed labels, right? Yes. Um, and, and the truth is that you're a bunch of things, right? You're, you know, like, like I'm at the same time, I'm a father, you know, I'm an Ivy League grad. I'm a first generation American. Like I'm all those things at the same time. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I, and one doesn't, one book doesn't end, you know, end and the other one begins, right? They kind of all uh-huh. over right? They all, yes, they do. They mesh, they mesh, they grow. But we've said it in the in other shows that culture and it, it's something that evolves, it breathes every day. Um, it's not something that is stagnant. Um, and as we, that's one of the reasons why we have this show is to talk about it, to give, you know, of course, our community and people just a platform to start having, as you said earlier, the conversations because it's 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 good. It's good for our soul. Yeah, and, and this is good. Okay, this is this mangu for your soul. And as we say here in, in at the podcast, you know, yes, we've got mangu. It's really good, but you can't have mangu without the tres golpes. Uno, dos, tres golpes. Okay, all right. This is our rapid fire part of the discussion that kind of tests or quizzes you a little bit on your Dominicanness. I know it's weird because I've just been talking about like people challenging people's Dominicanness, but this is a nice way because the truth is the people want to know. Like, they get it. Sí, quieren saber, quieren saber. But the first thing I need to know is, ¿tú estás preparada? Are you ready? Okay, porque si tú no estás lista, we can't get this done. Okay. Oh my God. So, <laughs> primero, primero, merengue bachata. Bachata. <gasps> okay. Segundo, totore maduro. Maduro. Very sweet. Very sweet. Oh, sweet. Very sweet. Oh, and the hardest one of all, el más duro. <laughs> Morir soñando o con chiclu. I think what he's saying is trending. I think it's it's trending. I, I, really I, is. Think, I think it is. I, and you know what? I'm gonna say check mark. <laughs> I like that. Check. <laughs> oh my god! Me, hablando de the funny, you know, things and and things that are Dominican. Um, I'm curious, right? Like you talked a little bit about your family. I, one of the things about, but I always enjoy about being Dominican are my parents, right? Cause they're like, I mean, they bring a lot of funny and joy and, and, and it is, but what's the biggest thing that you would say that your parents or your family still don't understand about your life? Like, and I'll give you an example. Sometimes it can be really, really funny. Sometimes it can be really, really small. Like for years, I had to explain to my mother that the world does not revolve around, like in terms of geography, her sense was like Santo Domingo, New York, and everything else that wasn't in those places was upstate New York. <laughs> and that was like, that was all of that. 
Ese es Bose. Ah, Bose. Eso está en Ostey. Well, I guess it is. Esa es mi mamá. So I'm just, you know, I'm just curious, you know, like. And, and to be honest, my parents still don't know what the hell I do for a living, right? They don't, like, el escriba, el hace algo. Exactly. You know. Pero, yo no nada. Él no me dice nada. Yo no pregunto. All they know is that tú tienes un papel que dice diploma. Sí. Y que no me has, y que no me has sacado la, la ciudadanía. That, that's the, one, the two things that they're like, they care about. You haven't done Are we living the same life? <laughs> so, I, you know, so, so that's, you know, I don't know, me, I'm just curious of you, like, are there any things that you're like, pero mami, eso no como, oh, pero mami, or, you know. Yeah. Oh, man. No, um, so, I think a lot of things you mentioned, are, I go through those things every day. Um, I know right now, it's a lot of, my mom's, like, super into, like, getting all the high-tech gadgets, but she does not know how to use, like, any of them. Arreglame esto. Esto no me está... ¿Cómo se pone esto? I know, I know. My mom is like... And it's just, like, I think one of the most... I don't even know if it's annoying. It's just... Sometimes it's really funny. And I'm like, oh. And, like, she'll... I love... My favorite thing is when she gives other people instructions on how do things, whether it's like on WhatsApp or how to send something. And I'm like, wow, mom, these are so wrong. <laughs> these are so wrong. They're so terrible. Or like she'll explain to me how to use something that I taught her how to use. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yes, mom. See, okay. Um, but like I know right now something like I'm working on my parents on is... um. I think like a lot of things like I learn, I come back and like I try to tell my parents and then they're like, yeah, they'll be like, no, 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 I don't agree. So like right now, like I've been talking to them a lot about um, marijuana and cannabis because I'm like, oh, these are like, super great. Yes. Fumar and they're like, marijuana, droga. <laughs> everything. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> and, and it's a lot of like, Oh, and then I'm like, not everything is hookah, not everything is the same. Escuché que la gente fumando hookah está muerto en la calle. And you're like, what? What? Yo lo leí, una vez. Like, yes. No, and then my, yes. my parents will always be like, mira, yo leí que alguien lo fumó y there was a rash that got on the list and said, mira, no toca esa vaina porque tú sabes, yo, yeah, yo estoy diciendo que, pero ten cuidado. Yeah. Ten cuidado. Escuché una vez. I started off with like hemp-based lotions. <laughs> and she's like, ay, la, la crema con la marihuana. <laughs> Cómprame un chin de esa because she likes it. And like, but I've been slowly and surely like, and I'm like, next time I'll do, maybe I'll try some edibles. I don't know, mom. <laughs> But, um, like, I brought, like, things for, like, pain management, and I'll try to up it there, and I'm like, this is the difference between hemp, CBD, marijuana, this is how it works, I'm like, this is how it can help you with your health, and then they'll be like, then she goes and tells all her friends, <laughs> oh, mira, la cremita esta para el dolor con la, la marihuana, tiene la, la osita ahí mismo. And so, now, she calls me up and is like, where you bought that marijuana? <laughs> I can tell my friends. So, I guess it's been working. I hope she don't call you at work, though, that they record the messages. No, <laughs> <laughs> pero la marihuana. It's like, mira, yo no, 
Yo no hago esa cosa. No, I'm going to say this uh, uh, because one time my grandmother called me and I worked for the state government and she called me on my state phone to ask me about something that had the marijuana. And I was like, I, Grandma, can you just call me on my phone? Like, because I don't want to be, I know my calls are being recorded. I don't know when they're listening to it, but I know they're being recorded. Me lo están grabando. Llámame el celular. No, pero necesito saber de la marihuana. Okay, tú sabes dónde lo compran y dónde lo venden. Like, she was like, she was calling you out. She was like, I know your supplier. Like, yeah, I was like, oh my God, if somebody didn't understand the whole process of this conversation, they're going to be like, um, Venus, um, I think we need to have a conversation. And I'm going to be like, no, I don't do it, please. Uh, I tell you, it's, it's still their way of getting us back. And not being a parent, now I understand that, you know, I'm going to be able to do that when my daughter's like 10 That's the joy. That. That, so that's why we joy had children. Payback. It's just, it's just that's, why, that's the only reason why I had children. I was like, <laughs> I need to be able to do it to someone You know, and that's why there's, there's so many out there for foster care adoption. No matter how you do it, there's a way for you to get back at the younger generation. Um, and, and that's really what's great about this. Um, no, it, uh, Lusa, you know, I'm a, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I'm a big fan because I think um, you've got a lot of promise. You got a lot of talent. Um, and I think it's about pipelines. And I think you and I, you know, I've certainly spoken in the past about the need to support, um, to support each other, right? Whether it's via age, whether it's via geography, whether it's being same, similar shared experiences. Um, I think especially when we go into places like Colombia, we see people who, you know, like they got their family networks, they got their family friends and stuff like that. They don't need to wonder what it's like to work at a law firm because they knew that they may have been, you know, spending Halloween at their parents' job, you know, when they were kids or something like that, right? And so I think for us, uh, for for a generation of folks um, who are first generation um, Americans, sometimes we don't see that, right? Um, and yet I think we also come from a from a community like a Dominican community that expects a little bit of shared, you know, shared responsibilities and pipelines. I mean, I call it that. Like we have, sophist- you know, quote unquote, sophisticated to do that. Um, but I do think that there is something, there, there, there is a Dominican flavor or energy to coming to do the things that we do. And so um, I'm so glad you were able to join us um, to give us at least a little sliver um, of what it's like, right? Like in terms of, look, you know, at the, at the beginning stage of a career being a leader, but also knowing that there's a lot still to learn and, and a lot to kind of do. And so um, really appreciate you, you coming down. As we wrap up, um, you know, I guess what's the what's the biggest thing that you think that young leaders like yourself, you know, what what do they need? You know, like, you know, what do they need, whether they're just, you know, like in college, whether they're in school or they're just getting into the you know the workforce. You know, what's what's the biggest thing that, that you think that that they need or they, or they, they could use, um, especially from from other Latinos? Um, I think definitely just even like being in a space like this, um, being able to connect with other people, I think that's definitely like networking is like top one thing that 
most people need to get into. I know like a lot of people are scared to like approach others. Um, I know like I was nervous about like doing this podcast, but I think it's just uh, a great opportunity to like, you know, jump and take some risks. Um, do things that you usually don't do because you might meet people that like you never thought you were gonna meet and they may have opportunities and experiences that are valuable. I think that I've definitely um, pursued things that I'm interested in because I saw someone else that I really either trusted or looked up to that they were doing it. And I was like, wow, this is something I think is so dope. I want to do it. Um, and I just wasn't shy and I reached out. Um, I think, like, sometimes I think I'm a shy person, but at the end of the day, I'm probably not. Um, and that's only because, like, I feel like I've been forced into situations where it's like, either you talk to them or you don't. And if you don't, you're not going to get out of anything out of this or you're not going to get exactly what you need. And so I think we just need to be unafraid and go get it and just build networks and like also just reach out to people and like be responsible with, with like the relationships that you have. Um, checking in whether it doesn't always have to be when you need something, just like checking in just to see how things are going, um, to keep up that connection and relationship in a positive, healthy way. Um, and we should all like kind of try to be in equal partnerships, not someone giving or taking more so than the other. Um, yeah, I think definitely people being a people person and approaching people is definitely important thing that we need to continue doing and not being afraid no matter what position this person may be you never know where do you want to be in four or five years like if we're doing this interview four or five years in the future where would you where would we be doing it at wow wow oh my goodness um, a little bit of therapy here at the Kilo Kid Podcast. <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, so I was speaking to um, Venus before, and I was telling her, like, I think it's like time to like transition into like something new. Um, I definitely do want to continue um, doing social justice work and public policy work. Um, I'm definitely interested in. Um, criminal justice um but I'm also interested in like having my own thing like what like I want to maybe have my own business whether that doesn't look like me actually like selling products but more so I I have this like crazy idea about like curating experiences and that's like something that like a lot of people are doing and it's just like creating spaces for people to like have these experiences whether it's just a kickback or a cipher um or it is things that support the community so i think like for me um trying to find a place that i would consider my community and establishing a location where people can come for resources that look very like it could be creative things whether it's like teaching people how to um or like what's sitting in the studio anything i think that like I would want like a community center that would help at least youth um, get like stay out of trouble, but also support their creative endeavors, whatever that may look like. 
Um, so, you know, I, I dabble I dabble here and there. Like, I have some chickens out in my yard. I've been trying to go, like, chicken well look I, I we're here at que lo que. we're um we're happy to have you we're happy to you know there's you know uh, there's definitely a couple of guests coming up that i think will help you move you closer to your dreams i think there's definitely a couple of people sí. we're interviewing um People who are, are in those kind of spaces, I, I think um, I think you got something. Don't think yourself as crazy. You know, all all the all the big change makers, um, they call them crazy, right? So um, don't you know? Definitely, it's, it's all about uh, a dream. Yeah, step all into it. Step dream. into it, and 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 just know we're here to support. Aquí estamos. So when you're ready, just call us up. Yeah, yo, I got this idea. Like, I got this idea. <laughs> And you know, I'm already looking to go back to New York soon. So gives me another reason. Yeah, you just gotta call me and be like, mira, cigar something. Yo estoy ya, you know? Yeah, yo estoy haciendo algo. Okay, bam, you know, because you know Dominicans will be like that. They'll they'll wind up on your doorstep and you're like, I didn't even make an ass. Yeah, but tú estabas hablando, haciendo algo. Tú estabas hablando. Y pensé que yo debo... And just know that again, I'm going to be looking good too. I'm going to have my bag. Pero tú me dijiste algo. No me diste detalle, pero me dijiste algo. Mira, ella lo tiene preparado already. You know, she never asked twice. Este, no, but in all honesty, look, this was a great time. Thank you so much um, for being on the show today. We really, really do appreciate Venus, as always. Always a pleasure in terms of co-hosting this space um, with you. And uh, and to our listeners out there, I look at fans, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And as we always say in the program, as long as there's good punchinche to spread and Dominicans doing stuff, I look at will always be here. Thanks a lot, folks. 